Guys, we're in a section of uh, Romans chapter 10 that uh, I told you we would we would pause over or slow down over, and we we certainly have. And we've got, um, let's see, we've got tonight uh, and two more weeks after tonight, just in this little paragraph uh, that begins in verse 14. We're, we're going to um, concentrate once again on verse 15 tonight, but let me read the paragraph. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Very familiar, very famous passage of Scripture, uh, one that uh, gets memorized quite often, at least verse 17 does. Uh, we're looking at just something that I'm, I've picked out of, um, as I did last week, something I've picked out of uh, verse 15 that I want to, to concentrate on. It's uh, that, uh, that quote from the book of Isaiah 52, where, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's that good news uh, uh term that I, I want to spend our evening together on, um, because in one sense, guys, there is um, the message of the gospel must always be good news. Now, I, I know that you that, that doesn't really sound um, too new um, or too earth shattering, but I want to I want to try to show you that it really kind of is. There's a there's a very subtle test uh, involved in in understanding just that. That is, in terms of what I'm listening to. Is it good news? Because if it's not good news, it's not the gospel. Uh, one way you can determine that what you have your hands on is really the gospel is, is it good news? And, and that's what I want us to concentrate on a bit tonight, just the, or explaining myself as to, say, as to why I would say it's a subtle test of, of, the, um, of the orthodoxy of what you're hearing now. To do that, I want to tell you a couple of stories tonight, and one of them comes out of this book. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, you may not know it, but um, and I, some of you may, if, you, if you're a reader, the most famous chapter in all of Western, Western literature is in this book. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Um, it is the uh, chapter that's entitled The Grand Inquisitor. Um, you ever heard of that? You know, if you read any, if you read any um, Christian, I mean, if you read authors uh, very much, Christian authors very much, sooner or later, somebody is going to mention this chapter. I got so tired of seeing people mention the Grand Inquisitor that I decided, well, I'm going to have to read the whole thing myself. I mean, the whole book. I mean, the book is 1,150 pages or so. Um, but the most famous chapter in all of Western literature, is right here. The Grand Inquisitor found in this, uh, which is considered some, by some the finest novel ever written, The Brothers of Karamazov. I would love to read you just numerous excerpts out of uh, The Grand Inquisitor, but I won't do that to you. Um, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about The Grand Inquisitor because it, um, um, it has to do with this, this good news thing. I, we'll get back to it before the night's over, I promise. The Brothers Karamazov is about four brothers, and uh, there, is a, there is a protagonist and an antagonist, and then there's a couple of others. But the, the protagonist is, the, uh, is Aloysia, uh, Ali, 
Alyosha. Alyosha. And uh, his brother, one of his brothers, is named Ivan. And Ivan is the skeptic. If you wanted to use a term more familiar, he's the atheist. He's the one that's constantly, um, you know, giving his brother, who is a very religious, devout kind of guy, Alyosha, is a very devout kind of guy, and who is the protagonist. Well, Ivan, the antagonist, is always giving him trouble um, by all of his complaints and his skepticism about uh, uh, the Christian faith. So in the midst of the, of the novel, Ivan comes up with a story. And, and the story of the Grand Inquisitor is a story really being told. It's a piece of, uh, it's a, it's an interesting little, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, it's, um, it's a story that has a very serious, profound message woven within it. But Ivan tells the story about the Grand Inquisitor, and the Grand Inquisitor is the Cardinal of Seville. Um, you know, a Roman Catholic Cardinal. You know what a Cardinal, Bishops, all those guys. Well, he's a Roman Catholic Cardinal of Seville. Uh, Seville is in Spain, and, and it's during the period of the, the Great uh, Inquisition. And that's when Christians were really slaughtered uh, by the Roman Catholic Church. But I mean, that, that really happened, but this, this really didn't happen. But the Grand Inquisitor is the Cardinal of Seville, and um, in the story, um, Jesus decides that he's going he's gonna to revisit the planet Earth. And so he, he shows up, Jesus shows up in Seville, uh, Spain. And the Cardinal of Seville has him arrested, jailed, uh, and sentenced to die. That is, Jesus is going to die again. And so the cardinal comes to visit him in his jail cell. And um, uh, Jesus asks him why he is going to be put to death. And the cardinal, and, and, and some of the some of these this stuff in here, guys, it is it is abject genius. Um, but the cardinal replies, I'm just going to read you it, but I'll explain. Uh, it says, if the grand inquisitor has said to him, you have transmitted all your authority to the pope, and now he wields it. As to you, you had better stay away, or at any rate, not interfere with us for the time being. They don't just say they even have it in writing, at least the Jesuits have. I've read it myself. Basically, he's saying to Jesus, listen, the reason we're going to put you to death is because the church has had a change of mind. The church has really kind of gone in a new direction, and, and it's just kind of left you behind, buddy, because you're really kind of not with it. You're not with it because the message that you have is really, uh, it's, it's too demanding. It's not a message that people want to hear. In fact, what we've decided is that we, the, the real thing that men need is to have their felt needs, uh, their, their, their kind of instinctual cravings met. And so we've, we're going to take the church in the, in the path of meeting the needs of, of, the, of the people. And so they enter into this dialogue, uh, to, to illustrate, they enter into this dialogue, the Cardinal of Seville and Jesus, uh, over the three temptations, you know, the temptation of Christ, you know that? There's three temptations. And the first one has to do with bread. Remember that? Then Satan comes to Jesus and turns those rocks into bread. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every uh, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, the cardinal says to Jesus, listen, for instance, I mean, you keep telling people that they need to live off of uh, the words that come out of the mouth of God. And I'm telling you, says the cardinal, they need bread. They don't need the spiritual bread that you offer. They need bread bread, real bread, you know, edible bread. And so we're going to give them what they really need. We're going to give them bread. The second uh, temptation is the one about um, 
uh, cast yourself off the top of the temple and the, the angels will bear you up, says Satan. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so the Cardinal of Seville says, just look at you. I mean, that's so stupid of you. It's stupid of you not to give them the miraculous and the, and the shab, shab, shabangs and the, you know, um, and, and you just want to give them, you just want to tell them to exercise deep and abiding faith in the, in the things that God has said. But we've decided that you're out of touch. We want to give them what they really want. What they really want is the miraculous. They want something that will really titillate. So that's what we're going to give them. So the, the point is, guys, what Dostoevsky is saying is that what has happened to the gospel today is that it has been, it has been taken, it has been changed, and it has been turned into something that it was never intended to be. Because the message of Jesus is just out of touch. It just doesn't, it just doesn't reach, it, it, it just doesn't do what man really wants it to do. And, and in its place in the 21st century, what we've got is what many would call a therapeutic gospel. Um, a, a gospel that doesn't, um, it's, it's a gospel that, that, that is structured to give people what they need. It's not structured to get them to change what they want. It's a gospel that says, if that's what you want, then that's what we want to give you. And it's, uh, it's centered exclusively upon a, 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 a list or a, get or a, a collection of Helps needs. Um, it's a it, it morphs Jesus into this. Uh, Jesus is the meter of my needs. It massages self love. It's a it's a Jesus for you, not the Jesus that's proclaimed in this book, but a Jesus who is for you. Um, the, the, the real problem. The definition of the disease that you've got, or as given by the therapeutic gospel, bypasses the human heart. The problem is not your, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with your, your fault. No. You're just an innocent sufferer. You're a victim. And, um, oh. <laughs> I bet you it didn't slow down the way you could hear me, did it? Uh, um, you're just a, you're just a, a, you know, you were you were poorly potty trained, and so the the problem is is n- not you. The problem is that there's been um, that there's been you've been victimized. You know, of course, Jesus says that it's out of the heart that flows envies and murders and adulteries, and but but that's not the problem. The problem is that you're an innocent sufferer, and you need to. Um, we need to change our message. You're just a you're just a poor victim, and the message that we got we have for you will 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 promise you all the things that you so desperately want, like self-esteem. It's going to give you excitement in life, guys. Do do you see? It's the same thing that's going on in this Grand Inquisitor. The Grand Inquisitor is saying to Jesus, 
what you bring is, is not what people want anymore. The church has decided to go in a different direction. And the direction that we want to take people in is, is one that, that addresses the real needs that they've got. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's, here's, here's I'm going to return to this, but here's my point. Is that good news? Well, it is if, if your only interest is, you know, your personal self-fulfillment. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a grand piece of bad news that it doesn't say a word about. And uh, we won't even call it sin. I mean, we wouldn't want to use that word. But how about this? How about the guilt that wakes you up in the middle of the night? How about the shame that, that continues to plague you over things done in the past? Ladies and gentlemen, that's not good news when the bad news is never addressed. There's another gospel. It's not a therapeutic gospel. It's a, it's a gospel about morality and ethics. Ladies and gentlemen, I will, I will stake my life on this that the number one most common misconception of Christianity is that Christianity is a message about morality and ethics. And it is not. Is that good news? As if what we intended to do is, is to use our message to make good boys and little girls or good little boys and girls? Gang, that's, that's not... That's not, there's no good news in that. That's not a gospel, that's law. Um, Christianity is a way of life. No, it isn't. That's all man. That's all man power. It's all a message about what you are to do. It's not good news. And then there's another version of the gospel it's not so much, well, it's, it, it, it is, it's, uh, it's uh, having its day. Um, back in the 60s, they used to call it the social gospel. Um, you know, the, um, what was it, the, um, uh, what was that outfit? Um, oh, it was an ecumenical collection of churches that, what's that? I can't hear. The World Council of Churches, that's what it was. The World Council of Churches was saying that the way that, that what Christianity is supposed to be doing is addressing the social issues of our day. Gang, I am not trying to undermine the church speaking about social issues. We need to speak very clearly and forthrightly against racism and against poverty and, 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 and as allies of the poor. Absolutely. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not our primary message. That's an application of our primary message. Our primary message is about, or the good... Well, I'll tell you what, before I tell you that. Um, uh, I don't know, I meant to bring some of these things with me in here, but I don't know how many of you read this thing. And I'll tell you what, if you want some takeaway for tonight, here's the takeaway. 
If you have been troubled with, you know, I need to have a, you know, a daily devotional life, and I haven't had a daily devotional life in years, and, and, you know, I don't even know where to start, I don't know how to start, I don't know what to do, yada, 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 yada. Okay, I got an idea, I got a suggestion for you. Get yourself one of these things. They're free. Grace Venture buys these things for Grace Event every month. They're right on the table right out there. This is, uh, this is April's. May is already out there. You can pick up May, you can start May the 1st, and you, and just do it a month. There's, there's daily devotions. Actually, they even take off the weekends. Oh, I mean, we got too many soccer games to be having a devotion on the weekends. So um, and they take off weekends. I mean, what could be easier than that? But very frankly, guys, I don't even read. I don't read the, um, the daily devotions. I have another plan that I have my own time with the Lord with. But I read the articles. And there must be, I don't know, 10, 12 articles in every month. And I think these articles are, are wonderful. Now, let, let me tell you about this real quick. Um, yeah, real quick. Um, gang, you, you may not be aware of this, but there are documents like this. This is called the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is a creedal statement. It is a doctrinal statement that lies underneath Reformed theology. But it's not the only one that exists. Have you ever heard of the, um, the Belgic Confession? Have you ever heard of the Canons of Dort? Or how about the Heidelberg Confession? Those are all just creedal statements that are, that, you know, in the, when the Protestant Reformation began with Martin Luther in 1521, um, you, you had people in, in Switzerland writing them, you had people in Germany writing them, and because they had to, they had to, they had to crystallize the thinking or, or distill the thinking that was contained in this book. And they put it into these, these, these wonderful confessions of faith. Well, I, I did one of them that you, maybe you've heard of the Westminster Confession. That's the one that I was born and bred on. But there's, there's another one that's discussed in this, in this edition. And it's the Heidelberg Confession. Excuse me, the Heidelberg Catechism. One of the articles. And, um, uh, this, this author says that the, um, um, the favorite reformed creedal statement that exists is this one. The Heidelberg Confession. Now, when I was in seminary, we, we, we glanced at the Heidelberg Confession, you know, um, I, but I never studied it. I studied that thing. Um, but the Heidelberg Confession, and, and he goes on to say why, why it is the favorite of all four of those documents. And there's more than four. And here's what he's saying in this article. Great little article. He says the reason that this one is, is, is so beloved and has been so beloved over the um, over the centuries, is that it starts like this. By the way, it, it's it's organized over a series of fifty-two questions. And it's supposed to be one per week. You know, there's fifty-two weeks in a year. Yada yada yada. But anyway, um, this is question number one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? <laughs> What is the only comfort? And, and this, this Arthur's saying the reason that this, this confession was so favored among all the rest of them was because the overriding theme in all 52 uh, chapters had to be, had to do with addressing the, the, um, issues that would lend and create and provide comfort. Let me read it to you again. 
What is your only comfort in life and in death? Um, I tell you what, here's your comfort. Um, if you will get up in the morning, if you will get up in the morning and get in front of the mirror and splash a little water in your face and look in the mirror and say, I'm invincible. You need to build your self-esteem. You need to, you need to work on this thing of your whole sense of self-image and self-worth. Now tell me again, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That you have an ever-increasing sense of your own personal worth? Is that it? Is that what is the, that you're feeling better and better about yourself? And you're getting buffer and buffer? And more and more heads are turning to look at you. And you've got a fatter and fatter 401k. And you're more and more esteemed in the workplace. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Is it that corner office? Is it the fact that you... very mistakenly think that you're living a good life? Is that it? What is the good news for your soul, ladies and gentlemen? In light of the issues, in light of the soul's condition, what is good news? That I can create occasions for you to sense more and more um, significance? That I can provide some excitement in your life? Guys, all I'm trying to tell you is that one of the subtle tests of what you're hearing being broadcast from any pulpit is this test. Is it good news? Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the social gospel is not good news. The therapeutic gospel is not good news. The, um, the, the, the gospel of law, that does nothing but condemn and condemn and condemn. But guys, let me read you. This is another article in the same thing. Um, and, and, and notice, the title of it, What is Your Only Comfort? Now, again, this article back here was just trying to give you a historical understanding of, um, of the document itself. And it told you that it opens with, what is your only comfort in life and death? And then the, the document, the Heidelberg Confession, goes on to give an answer to that question. Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
That's comfort, ladies and gentlemen. The assurance of the free remission of sin and of reconciliation with God and by and on account of Christ and a certain expectation of eternal life impressed upon the heart by the Holy Spirit through the gospel so that we have no doubt but that we are saved forever. That's good news, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) This other thing that you're hearing um, that seems to get louder and more frequent and more obvious and more uh, press and more media attention... That's not good news, folks. That is a massage of your own self-love. It has at the center of it all of the things that you consider to be contributors to a life of happiness. Guys, one of the great beauties of the Christian message is that it does not come to you and say to you, I will, it will, I am promising to give you everything that you want. What the, what the Christian gospel does is that by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, comes to you in such a way that what you want is rewired. That everything that I desired, that I thought was what I wanted, it begins to shift. And whereas I used to want self-esteem, now I want mercy. I used to want a significant existence. Now I long for wisdom. Tell them that I can't come to the phone right now. I'm, 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 I'm a tad busy. <laughs> um, it, it, the, the gospel sweeps into the soul and, and rewires the thing, ladies and gentlemen. That is good news. But to tell you that you're just fine, just the way you are, and that the real problem is not you, it's not your sinful, wicked heart. No. No, no, no. It's just that you were the middle child. And you um, you didn't get all the attention that you deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, that's therapy. But it ain't good news because the the good news has got to address something that's the bad news. And the bad news is I love sin. I don't know where I got this from somebody. I didn't. The real gospel is the good news. Of the Word made flesh, the sin bearing Savior, the resurrected Lord. That's the good news. 
whatever gospel doesn't give you good news, you got the wrong gospel. Because that's, um, that's what Paul says. How beautiful are those feet? How beautiful are the feet? Of whom? Who those who tell you, who tell you to love yourself more? I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, the last thing you need to love is yourself more. Very, frank, very frankly, that needs to be put to death. That needs to be crucified. That needs to go. The good news is, this message, this provision, this gospel, this, this provision has nothing whatsoever to do with telling you to do anything. This gospel says, this gospel is a declaration about what God has done for you. I got some good news for you, sinners. My fellow sinners. I got some great news for you. It's a resurrected Jesus Christ who lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died and has given me all of his merit. I heard somebody say this, and then I will stop. That you can summarize the gospel in one word and you can summarize everything else in one word. Everything else says, do. The gospel says, done. That ain't good news. Done. That's great news. That's good. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind your people of the great benefactors that we are. That we are are on the receiving end of a work that has been completed and finished on our behalf. And we need not contribute to it an iota. That there is a faithful Christ who has died in our stead. And now, by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, we have been brought into union with Him. Father, for those of us who know our sin, that is really good news. And that's the message we're privileged to carry to a lost and dying world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.